Hi, I'm Tom Shepard with the Southeast Environmental Task Force. You're listening to Q4 Radio in Chicago. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Hi, this is Richard Levine with the Entomological Society of America. This week we're in Indianapolis, Indiana for ESA's 57th annual meeting. Over 2,500 insect scientists will come this week and discuss their research. During the time, some student volunteers and I are going to go around and talk to some people about the lighter side of entomology, and we're going to try and gather some insect jokes and discuss insect humor. Hi, Holly. Do you have any insect jokes? Yeah. An entomologist is eating dinner with his family when a beetle runs across the table and he yells out, Quick, grab it! <laughs> That's actually pretty good. <laughs> so, did you hear about the male praying mantis who asked a female out for a dinner date? No, I didn't. He lost his head. Yeah, alright. Do you know why aardvarks eat ants? Nope. They want all the little antibodies. Very nice, thank you. Well, uh, you know, there's an old saying, though, that's a joke. Said, uh, you know why uh, dogs have fleas, don't you? Why? Uh, so that they don't have to think about being dogs. <laughs> what is a dung beetle's best pickup line? What? <laughs> Pardon me, is this stool taken? Uh, what do you call a female moth? What? A myth. <laughs> you know what kind of a doctor you need if you get butterflies in your stomach? What kind? A gastroentomologist. I'd like to recite, recite the putatively shortest poem, especially the shortest poem about insects by Ogden Nash. It's called Fleas, and it goes, Adam Haddam. Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete-encrusted banks of the North Branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program, heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets hard to find, temperate zones and tropic climes, and true currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will Good planets are hard to find Nothing stopping him from running for president Except for the fear of getting shin splints Here he is, Mike Novak I think I got all the mics up here Alright everybody, ready for this? One more time! Getting actually good at that. <laughs> uh, welcome to a beautiful Sunday morning in Chicago. If you're not in Chicago, well, I, I guess the upper Midwest is all kind of like this. Unfortunately, Mr. DeMaio will not be here for the second week. He's on vacation. That's okay. Everybody gets a vacation. He's with his parents in the Poconos. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe Bill Turk will call in again and give us another AirSats, uh, uh, weather report. We'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's usually listening, uh, on Sunday morning. I think you, know, you maybe, put the challenge out to him just now. Yeah. Maybe Annie Haven will, uh, give us a, a weather report from California. There's a, a ding for Annie and Mupu T. Uh, and I know she's out there, and sometimes she's listening, and sometimes she's not. It depends on, you know, what she's got going on a Sunday morning. Uh, but uh, in any case, that's Peggy Malecki sitting next to me, my 
She's not Airsets at all. She's the real deal and uh, is the publisher of Natural Awakenings Chicago. Uh, and uh, actually also in the studio, we're very honored to have – are you kidding? And anytime you have the webmaster here. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. In, That's a real honor. Uh, mm-hmm. In the studio, Kathleen Thompson. Let's give her a beer ding there, uh, Peggy. Thank you. Thank you, Peggy. Uh, and uh, Kathleen's actually here for a legitimate reason. We're – we're going to do something in the uh, around 9.30 or so um, that has to do with the weather. And, and, and the reason we're doing it is because this is re- it's real life. And what Kathleen goes through, and I think a lot of people go through in the Midwest in the summer, and that's dealing with mold in the air. And uh, there are other allergens as well. Uh, I, did you find information on any of the or did you focus well strictly on that right now molds the big guy yeah. earlier in the spring you got the the ragweed and you know the the tree uh, pollen and stuff like that but right now the big kahuna. so so thing they things shift during the course mm-hmm. of the of the growing months the warmer months because i know peggy you have various allergies ragweed 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 some mold uh-huh. And miscellaneous, I don't know why. Well, probably I had I had a test done for the first time this year on my allergies, and it, and I found out I'm incredibly allergic to cats and dogs. <laughs> I had no idea, really, because uh, well, at least that's what. Ta- and we do have a cat. We have a cat, but it doesn't. I I do I, I go into sneezing jags occasionally, <laughs> but uh, not that often anymore. Uh, since I got rotted, I had my <laughs> I had my system rotted earlier there's, there's in the year. There's people eating breakfast right now, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and it's better now. Um, but you know, and folks don't know that they're being affected by it. Actually, I was I played uh, in the theater softball league in Chicago, sixteen inch, and uh, last week. Some people were sitting around talking about how depressed they felt. And I said, I got a feeling it's anxiety due to mold in the air. And you're, you're, you're feeling anxious because mold has that effect, and you don't even know that you're feeling that. Did you know, in, like, in the early 20th century, people thought that asthma was a psychological problem? No, really? Yeah. Wow. And the primary way it was treated was with alcohol i'm you know <laughs> you know i, I can't breathe i can't dance. breathe <laughs> i can't breathe please give me some alcohol mm-hmm. uh, wow okay that's kind of interesting and did you know peggy when you play 16 inch softball you break your fingers all the time i went to an occupational therapy for my hand and the main cause on their little whiteboard that they kept track of the causes of of injuries to hands the main one was 16 inch softball the one that had the highest numbers isn't that something? But some people still play yeah that's right some and some people's hands are not that bad i got they're they're, they're mine a couple of little crooked fingers but not like your brother yeah, my brother has one <laughs> finger that's just gone. It's like I sideways. I mean, it's not gone. It's sideways. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. an odd angle. 
So, uh, but we gotten off track a little bit. But uh, so that's Kathleen will do the mold. We're calling it the mold report. So uh, around nine thirty uh, is when we will do that, and we will learn more about mold. And I'm I'm amazed that the carpet here in in the studio isn't reeking. That's the carpet that got wet a couple of weeks ago. Well, that's why the candles were here. I think so. We had, you know, it's much better too. Unbelievable. There were some incense candles or something, some stinky. Some scented, scented candles. Scented, and scented candles, I mean, there are there are stores Kathleen can't even walk mm-hmm. into because of scented candles. Well, they're fake. They're, it, it's chemical scents. Unless you're getting the really good essential oil candles, it's chemical and it's Oh, essential oils yeah. do it too, though, if, if they're the, the strong uh, mm-hmm. floral ones. I mean, hyacinths will do it. You bring a. Well, hyacinth is, is lethal. Okay. And my, my feeling is people who bring hyacinths into their house are, are, are taking their lives in their hands. We took a bouquet right? of star, like stargazers or lilies to somebody. I had it in, <laughs> yeah. on my lap while we were driving. To, and by the time we got there, I was sick as a dog. Woof. Yeah, uh, but that she's allergic to. Right. <laughs> That's right. I guess so. They tell me. Anyway. I don't know. So uh, at, at nine thirty, we'll talk about that, and we'll, you'll learn more about mold than you ever dreamt you could, uh, and and how it affects you. And uh, it's more important than people think. And, and and I'm surprised. I know Tom Skilling does these things. He at noon, mm-hmm. and he goes through the mold and, and the allergens, and he whips through them so fast. It's like, oh, that's high, it's high. Oh, that's very high. Okay, and, and on to, you know, our pictures of sunsets from our friends uh, out in TV land. Um, I wish they'd spend a little more time on that because really mm-hmm. is serious stuff. Like when you have an air, quali- air, action, mm-hmm. air quality action day or air whatever. Air quality they, alert. Alert, yeah. We had two or three of them this week. Yeah. 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 Uh, those, those are important deals. Not today, though. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. All right. Um, We'll start the show, uh, Peggy and I, with a little potpourri stuff, crazy. I mean, just there's so much going on in the world of local food and environment and... Um, gardening. Gardening. Walking. Walking. <laughs> we're walking, we're walking, we're gardening, we're gardening. Uh, but then in the second hour, I am I'm so excited. This is so exciting. We're going to have my buddy, Doug Taran. The butterfly guy. The butterfly guy. But he's also, you know, he's the insect guy. He's the the chief curator of biology at Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. Um, and this came about because of, of an article that got posted on the Mike Novak Show on Facebook. I didn't even post it. I think, did you post it, Kathleen? No, I posted it. Oh, Peggy, you Peggy did. Peggy posted Okay. Yeah. About dragonflies and about how dragonflies. And I always, you know, I have, I have said for years that I think dragonflies are are harbingers of good luck. I always consider it mm-hmm. a good good luck when a dragonfly is hovering around, you know. Uh and but there are swarms of them that that come into Chicago uh at at uh around this time of year and it's I guess it's about to happen. And you probably see more of them because you're on the lake, Peggy. Right. Yeah, down at the beach last summer it was it was a festival. That's the best way to explain <laughs> it. it. They were just there was the layer of dragonflies, and then the swallows were above it, and just diving and circling and putting on a show as they're looking wow. for mosquitoes. Take, take a video yeah. of that. And next eating time. mosquitoes. That's yes. why I like dragonflies. Well, they're beautiful, too. I love I, dragonflies. I, I get them zipping up and down my driveway where it's nice and warm. Really? 
That's so cool. Yeah. Um, I, I occasionally see one in my yard. I mean, you know, that's that's the problem with living in the city. There ain't a lot of nature going on. There's some, but not not as much as I would like. Uh, so uh, Doug Terran's going to be here to talk about dragonflies, talk about monarchs, talk about other butterflies, moths. We're going to ask him about fireflies. Uh, what's the other? There's another critter in there. I can't think at the moment. But that's why I did the entomological humor at the top of the show. I might well, have. Well, that explains it then. He wasn't just trying to bug us. But um, oh, whoa! Okay, wait, wait, wait. This is. Oh, we this. just assume a rim shot. There we go. Assume a rim shot. I need a setup here, like you know, one of those. Yeah, just things push the button. Where you the, just yeah. push the button and you hit, you get your sound. I think you can buy those at the toy store, actually. Can you really? Well, I don't think I can hook it up to this equipment here. Oh, maybe not. Uh, Houseplant Guru is listening. Uh, and Annie Haven's listening, yay. too. Yay! And Annie Haven's listening. Um, and Houseplant Guru says she she hashtagged loved, why loved with a D, with a past tense, dragonflies. And she's got the hashtag garden chat, hashtag So it has butter- two Ds? Oh, no. No. <laughs> you're right. Love, dra- you're right. Duh. Okay. Bring your glasses yeah. this morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Uh, so thank you, Houseplant Guru. Glad you're out there. And uh, and anybody else is out there, give us a tweet. At Mike Now is the handle. Or go to uh, the Mike Novak Show on Facebook and uh, put in a comment. Um, or give us a call. I can actually take calls today because we have nobody on the phone. Everybody's in studio. 312-985-7834. 312-985-7834. If you feel like it and you want to be part of the action. So uh, Doug Terran, second hour and everything entomological. And I hope uh, folks call in or tweet in because uh, he's the best. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be fun. All right. Lots of stuff going on, as we said. Where do you want to start, Peggy? We have a few lists. So we'll, we'll, we'll start with the first one on the list. Is this coming Saturday in Evanston? Is their annual Streets Alive, which has been combined with the Green Living Festival. Um, folks may remember the Green Living Festival used to be in September at the Eco Center. No, I don't remember that. Well, some people okay. may have. Okay. Um, last year they combined it into one event. And it's all day Saturday in Evanston on several of the different streets. On uh, Main Street, primarily from Crown Park to Chicago Avenue, they have it blocked off. Um, they've got entertainment and food and music. But the theme is this year, streets alive, staying alive, staying healthy. So it's, it's an intermix of green vendors, uh, garden vendors, a lot of different people in the green space combined with a lot of the businesses from Evanston for just a giant street party. Wow. And it's all like free. Fun. Yeah. It's all free. People can bring their bikes. They can bring their dogs, walk up and down the streets, try all sorts of food, get all sorts of free samples. Um, I know last... And where was this again so exactly? This is, this is in Evanston. It's on Main Street from um, Crown Park to the west to Chicago Avenue on the east. And it's... They're focusing on alternative transportation this year and other ways of getting around, talking about bike paths, talking about different bicycles. There's a, a Divi bike station set up there. So you can still drive north-south. They'll stop traffic, but the east-west street is blocked. 
So it's really safe for people bringing kids and dogs. And Cool. Donna Forsberg sent me information about the 34th annual Graceland West Garden Walk, which is today uh, from 12 to 5. So right after the show, you can participate. My show, you can participate in that. Um, it's free also. And the boundaries are Montrose to Irving Park and Clark to Ashland. Uh, brochures are available at 4334 North Greenview and at kiosks or participating gardens. Uh, there's Ask a Master Gardener, Insect Petting Zoo, Gardening Literature. No, wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. An Insect Petting Zoo? Oh, yeah, the Master Gardeners do that. I've done that. I've, I've hosted those. I'm not hosted. I've been a... Um, a, a a presenter, you know what the there's there's right. you know like the like the Madag- Madagascar Gascar. hissing cockroach, yeah, and the huge millipedes that are like the size of your arm and um, not quite that big, like, but they're they're and you let them crawl on you and they're really cool. And tarantulas, well, yeah, that sounds yeah. like fun. Well, the tarantulas and although tarantulas not technically an insect, no, it's um, a spider, but um, it's an arachnid, right? Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. spider. Uh, yeah. Arachnid. Yeah, not a spider, an arachnid. Is a it, tarantula is, is a spider. Okay, well, but a spider is an arachnid. He's saying, I know, but but no, she'll go on with this forever. It <laughs> it, it, it won't stop right there. <laughs> the exhibiting gardens will display a marker, and you can go to www.gracelandwest.org for more information. Gracelandwest.org, uh, if you want to, you know, and and it's that wonderful historical or historic district of uh, Chicago. And, and so that's, and I, and I told Donna, she said, you got to mention it on the show. I said, okay, I will. And I said, will you be listening? And she said, no, I won't be actually. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Donna. Your turn, Peggy. And then following along in the native plant tours and garden walks is August 12th is the native plants at work garden tour which is sponsored by the um, Lake Michigan region of uh, League of Women Voters. You take a plant to work? No, it's native plants working in our oh, environment. Oh, I like that, though. Take yeah. a native plant to work. <laughs> take your native plant to work. Um, and it's, it is, unfortunately, at this point sold out, but the last I heard, really? they are still trying to open it up um, through Wilmot. Through go, I want to know Green how Wilmot. the League of Women Voters gets involved in a garden walk. Well, the Great Lakes region is um, – so every community has their own league, and the Great Lakes is like an overlaying league that's focused primarily on environment. It's focused uh, on life um, around the Great Lakes, Great Lakes conservation, and in this case, native plants mm-hmm. and prairies. And so they've organized this tour, which is going to be in gardens – in Wilmette Native Plant Gardens. It's a bus tour. Um, it's going to include Charlotte Adelman who we ran into this oh, week. Oh, and I'll get into that yeah. in a second. Um, and Monica Buckley, who's the owner of Red Stem Native Landscapes, and Lolly Watt, who is a native gardener in the community. And I would just suggest go to the League of Women Voters Lake Michigan region or lmvlmr.org and look up Native Plant Tour. Speaking of that, uh, Peggy and I were having a meeting at a Panera in Wilmette. On Monday. And who should I bump into there but Monica Buckley? And from, Charlotte. And Well, no, I didn't bump into Charlotte. Yeah, she was Monica. there. And she said, I'm sitting here on the other side of the place with uh, Charlotte Edelman. And Charlotte, of course, wrote 
uh, I interviewed her a couple of years ago, and she wrote a book on native plants. I forget the exact name of it. I should look it up. Do you have it there? The Midwestern Native Garden, Native Alternatives to Non-Native Flowers and Plants. The Midwest Native Garden? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. And then Prairie Directory of North America. Right. She did the Prairie Directory, and that was way back in the day. And I think I had her on when I was at Gargantua Radio. So, uh, And she's working on a new book on trees and shrubs, native trees and shrubs. Um, so Monica and uh, Charlotte are there talking, and so we, we, we chatted with them. And I had driven up, and as I was driving up there, uh, you know, I, I passed by Centennial Park Prairie, which Charlotte had a huge hand in planting. Uh, in fact, it was kind of her and her husband's idea, I think. Um, and I thought, I was thinking, well, on my way home, I'm going to take some photos. Well, then, of course, I run into her, and I'm going, now I really have to stop. <laughs> and so I did, and I took some photos, and I posted them on Facebook. Uh, and, I, and I happened to see my first monarch butterfly of the whole season <laughs> on the first day of August. Um, and it wasn't, as I wrote on the Facebook post, it wasn't as if the garden was lousy with them. There were a few. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was just the one circling back over and over again. I don't know. didn't seem like there were a lot. And that's one of the questions we're going to ask Doug in the second hour is what's going on with the monarchs. But that's part of, part of an interesting thing. He wrote a paper about that. And it says when you're counting monarchs, it depends what, when you count them in their life cycle. And he wrote a paper about he and some colleagues wrote a paper about it, and then they got there was a a, a a rebuttal to that, and then there was a rebuttal to the rebuttal. I mean, this is the way science works. Mm-hmm. You do these peer reviewed things, and then and then uh, you finally come to some sort of consensus. Uh, but his point and his colleagues' point was that, well, briefly, if I got it right. When we do the counts on monarchs, we tend to do them when they're just going into Mexico and then emerging from Mexico, and then we say this is what the population is. They posit that the populations rebound during the summer enough so that really we need to figure out when we're going to – how we count them because it's a different thing. Those populations expand, but then they have to go back down to Mexico and – it's, a lot of them die over the A lot the of them die. It's a, yeah. it's, it's a hard journey. And so the whole idea of how we count monarchs, I think, is still up in the air. And that's what I got from reading mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. the various papers. Uh, we still don't really know how to And we determine. have to be very careful we're not counting mo- baby monarchs, right? But I'm bumped. A friend of mine said he saw a baby, oh. a baby monarch butterfly. Hold on. We got a, <laughs> yeah. we, we got a call pouring in here. Hello? You're yeah, up. hi, uh, Bob in the King and Queen uh, Courthouse, Virginia. Hey, and how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Hey, I just posted something on your Facebook page. It's a picture or a photograph of a caterpillar-like thing, uh, and uh, I'd like to know what it is. I picked it up. I found it in a oh, small sink yeah, in my, uh, I don't know how it got there. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> But uh, it has well, a pair of nasty pinchers on one end, and uh, when it bit into the tissue, it left a secretion of some sort. And I'm glad it wasn't on me. But if you wow. can identify that, that would be kind of cool. Okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. When um, when Doug gets here, he will look at that, and he will know immediately, because I don't. Uh, I, yeah, sh- okay. I probably should, but I don't. Uh, oh, may- that's okay. But maybe uh, some of our listeners... 
uh, can go to the Facebook page. Here, I'll get it up there on, on Facebook. Gonna, yeah, put it up on uh, where did uh, it's on it's on Facebook, but it's probably buried in the back, right? So if you can, yeah, I, I, I just posted it uh, about within a minute ago. Yeah, no, we're we're looking at it, Bob. It's have to move it from behind the scenes to in front of the scenes on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of caterpillars. We have them here. I'm in a very heavily wooded rural area, but uh, this thing—it it doesn't look like the typical caterpillar. I'm not sure what it is. So, okay, yeah, yeah. I've—you know what—I've seen this before, and when when we identify it, uh, I'm going to go. Oh yeah, I should have remembered what that is, but it's been a while. Um, okay. But uh, so, how are things in uh, Virginia, Bob? I'm sorry. How, how are things your way? You say you live in a heavily what well, it? things are okay. I uh, I moved down here from Vermont. It's a whole lot different, but uh, within the 10 years, I can see the effects of the global warming, I think. We used to have just afternoon thundershowers. Now we have three days of rain and thunder and tornadoes and you name it. Wow. And I'm I'm looking forward to getting back north. <laughs> uh, are you are you going to move back? I think so. Uh, my it's, it's kind of a, a difficult thing. I bought a house here and to get rid of it. And I'm 73 and I'm living on Social Security and a small income. So to buy another house, it gets a little tricky. So we got to watch ourselves so we don't get in trouble. So yeah, but but you're the guy who called the first day I had the show, right? And you were having trouble. Yeah, here. yeah. I couldn't stream you uh, on uh, internet. Uh, yeah, internet. Uh, Explorer, so I, I bring you up on Mozilla now. It works great. So uh, that's great. So have you been a regular listener? Oh, oh yeah, we we have you on every every week uh, with a, within a, a rare few instances where we're not here or something. But uh, no, I'm streaming you right now. Uh, and uh, I have you uh, on the internet, but I I plug you in with a little FM transmitter, and we have about four radios through the house. And uh, no matter where I go in the house, it plays through the radio. So. <laughs> I want folks listening right now to tell their friends that's how you do it. Okay, that's how you listen <laughs> yep. to the show. You plug it in and you have it running all, all, all over the house. In fact, <laughs> it blasted out the window so your neighbors can hear it as well. That would be a, a real well. If uh, if I have a radio outside, I can uh, just tune it into the FM uh, station that my little transmitter is on, and I can I get it. We stream everything down here. I'm a I'm a conservative guy. No, no, oh heavens, no. Well. <laughs> I'm a progressive guy, Democrat, Northern liberal. Um, so there's nothing around here I want to listen to. So we stream uh, uh, WCPT in Chicago and uh, and you guys and uh, a whole lot of other things, a couple of things out of uh, Oregon and you name it. So well, uh, you know, I got an FM radio, uh, an internet radio, which I can't seem to get a stream on. I don't know how that works, but we get you on the computer. So wow. Well, you know, I I know it's an effort for you. To you know, for the people who who like to stream the the, the regular uh, terrestrial radio, uh, for you to stop and take the time to go online and listen to my show uh, is an honor for me, Bob. I really appreciate. It. And here's what I want to do for you: I'm going to send you a copy of my book, uh, Attack of the Killer Asparagus. Would you like oh, that? Oh, that would be cool. All yeah, right. that'd be great. All right, here's what I want you to do: I need you to send me your uh, your mailing address. Uh, send it to Mike and Mike Novak dot net. That's my email address. Mike, Mike at, yeah, at Mike Novak dot net. And it's M I K E N O W A K dot net. Gotcha. And I will send you a copy of because I'm I'm just so flattered <laughs> that, that you uh, you stream us there in Virginia and, and you listen to the show. That's great. 
Yeah, well, we listen to a lot of folks. It's uh, and you, you're super interesting. And I was kind of saddened when you when you left the other one, and I, I was glad I found you. So uh, keep it up. Uh, you know, not much in gardening here. They do a lot of GMO corn across the street. I got a hundred acre cornfield over there, and soy, and it's GMO land. You know. <laughs> Uh, let me let me just say one thing because uh, I have actually, actually haven't talked about it because I haven't done anything about it yet. But um, I very soon am going to be on the Progressive Voices uh, Network with uh, there. It, it's a it's a we, um, website. Pro- progressive. Right. I, I have a I have a shortcut here on uh, on my laptop, on my uh, desktop. Uh, progressive Voices. Also, uh, Randy Rhodes just came on. Uh, on progressive you know, voices. You know Randy oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You saw. Yeah, I, well, she just came on. She's got her own little stream now out of uh, out of Florida, and she's no longer uh, uh, under the control of uh, corporate uh, masses. So. Well, uh, neither am I right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but uh, they, uh, I've been communicating with them, and they said send us some stuff, and we'll 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 air it on progressive voices. And I'm very excited about it. So that's wow. okay. Th- that's going to happen uh, very soon. Uh, in fact, uh, I just need to sit down and send him the stuff, and uh, and then we will be off to the races. Wonderful. Well, the more places you can get, uh, and it seems like the Internet offers a tremendous uh, opportunity for a lot of folks that want to be heard. And uh, It does. It does. And more and more yeah. people are, are figuring it out like you. I mean, I, 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 I joke about it uh, on my show about how hard it is to explain to people that um, listening to a show on the internet is really just the same as listening on the radio, except you don't turn on a radio, you turn on your computer. And, exactly. Bob, thank you so much. Send me uh, your, your address and I'm going to mail you a copy of the book. Sounds good, Mike. All Keep right. Up the good show. Uh, thank you. And th- to you. Take care now. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. How cool. Uh, it's great to hear from Bob in Virginia. And again, um, that's how it works. Give us a call. Yeah. If you're if you're interested, three one two nine eight five seven eight three four. And if anybody does know what the mystery caterpillar might be, it's on both Twitter and Facebook. Oh, good. And you know, I'll bet somebody will ID it for us. Uh, before we get to our break, a couple other things. Uh, one of the things is, I and again, I posted this um, on my Facebook page earlier in the week. Oh yeah, let's we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, just real quick. The Chicago Tribune did this remarkable series of stories this week uh, called The Price of Pork, Cheap Meat Comes at High Cost in Illinois. And it's about the stuff I've been talking about on my show now for a couple of years. Uh, And I've had Karen Hudson on for Illinois Citizens uh, for Clean Air and Water. Um, She's also with the uh, Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. I've had the, the people from Crate Free Illinois, like Jessica Chipkin, on um, the program, and we talk about what's going on in Illinois and how, uh, re- if you recall that one point, um, I played this audio from a court. It, it seemed to indicate that the Il- Illinois Department of Agriculture had never said no to a factory farm. Uh, that may or may not be true, but it, but it was a pretty revealing piece of audio, and the point is that they rarely say no. To a factory farm, and it's causing people in communities to lose property value. Um, it degrades their quality of life. It degrades the people who work in these uh, factory farms. It de- it's it's there's cruelty to animals. Um, there is a, 
despoiling of our environment uh, the, because of antibiotics is putting the, the entire population of the planet at risk uh, and on and on and on. And so we, it's all because, it, you know, so we can have cheap bacon. Yeah, basic, that was basically. basically the line in there. It's cheap bacon. It's cheap bacon. What's your problem? It's cheap bacon. Exactly. Uh, and there's a, a, a series of stories uh, in there uh, written by a couple of contact reporters. And I don't even know what a contact reporter is. In the old days, we just called them reporters for the trip. Uh, David Jackson and Gary Marks. I'm thinking they may be uh, freelance. That's Well, that's another way of probably screwing them out of their benefits is what I'm thinking. Really? That's Tribune pioneered that um, because I, I worked for them for 25 mm-hmm. years, Mother Tribune, um, when I worked at Gargantua Radio. And uh, it was all part-time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a union guy, part-time union guy, IBEW, Local 1220, um, and uh, still uh, never got any benefits. 25 years. Nothing, nothing. So uh, that's now that doesn't say they can't write stories like this that uh, are remarkable and expose the uh, the factory farm industry for what it is. And um, it's if you have an opportunity, you've got if you just Google factory farms, uh, Chicago Tribune, I'm sure it'll pop right up. Yeah, or, uh, or you can go to my, my Facebook page. You'd have to scroll down a little bit. It's or you on can... my it's on Natural Awakening Chicago Facebook page too. <clears throat> so you'll find it one of the two. But yeah, it's just it's one of the guys they interviewed in there. The animosity between him and his neighbors. Like, yep, yeah, um, he was happy that they backed down. Well, yeah, his, his neighbors. The neighbors come calling and say, "We can't breathe. We can't go outside of our homes." Um, you know, you think you have a bag here, uh, Kathleen. Imagine if you had a, a, a you know, 2,500 hogs next no, door. No, I don't want to imagine that, if or, you don't or, mind. Yeah. Uh, just unbelievable. And, and the ways they get around it, I believe that it, if, you get, if you have 2,499, you, 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 you yeah. escape certain uh, limits mm-hmm. or, or regulations. Yeah, it's 2,500, and, <clears throat> and one, one below that, you're good. And you're, and you're good, so you can do anything. And so the neighbors complained about the smell and the, and the toxicity and, you know, the spills into the streams. And the guys running them go, um, you know, if you, if you live out in the country, you should expect to have those kinds of smells. It's like, are you kidding me? If you live out in the country, you should expect to be able to breathe clean air, if you ask me. Um, and, and they despoil rivers, and then they say, well, that wasn't us. <sighs> just stuff like that. It's just it's crazy. And, then, and that doesn't even take into account the cruelty to the animals, uh, which we, you know, uh, talked about when we had uh, the At the Fork people on the show and we did mm-hmm. that and I still haven't played the broadcast that uh, that panel discussion we did afterwards uh, tw- about 20 minutes 25 yeah. minutes of just remarkable stuff so I've got to do that really soon uh, so anyway that's in the Chicago Tribune you should look it up one one more thing I will say about that is that um, I know that the Tribune writers who did this worked with uh, my friends at Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water and the uh, Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. But their names are not mentioned once in the articles. Those organizations are not mentioned once. And I'm just scratching my head, thinking, why wouldn't you give them credit for helping you put this together? They gave credit to the Medill 
journalism school at Northwestern, the kids there who are were doing, you know, who knows what they were intern kind of work they were doing. Uh, but you don't give, you don't respect the people who helped you track down the people to interview enough to give them a mention in this. That's irresponsible. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. And maybe there's something going on I don't know about, but my contacts tell me that they actually, they did help with this article and they're not mentioned in it at all. Go figure. Okay. And before we go, let's uh, mention this as well. So Advocates for Urban Agriculture, AUA, we had Billy on the show last week. Um, This Thursday, August 11th, is their Grown in Chicago annual Swarry and Showcase. Swarry. 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 I like Swarry. Swarry. (laughs) Swarry. It's going to be a big, delicious planet. And this is a fundraiser, but it's a great chance to go to a hyper-local night market, showcase of Chicago urban farms and gardens, meet and greet, talk to farmers, talk to other people in the industry, meet people in the industry. If you're interested in urban ag, it would be a fun event to attend. And you can get information at auachicago.org. And I'm going, so I've got my tickets, uh, or ticket, uh, already, and uh, looking forward to it. And I'm going to hobnob, bring my recorder, and maybe... (laughs) You know, schmooze. It's I a, will it's probably a, it's be there. A, it's a schmoozing deal. So, all right. If you're a serious gardener, you like to keep track of what's going on in the horticultural world, and you know how reliable the inner tubes are about that. Don't get me started. If you live in Chicago, you need a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine to get accurate information all the time. Each issue is chock full of informative articles and a and stunning photographs. And speaking of photos, one of my favorite features in the mag is something called Bee's Eye View by photographer Ron Kopek. He goes where no human can go without a top-notch macro lens, capturing close-ups of all things horticultural. By the way, my column is on the inside back page of each issue, regardless of how many times people pick at the offices to get it removed. I have connections. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. Did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Or stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston and say you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show, and you'll get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. Stick around, Kathleen Thompson and the Mold Report coming up next. Spending more time at home these days? Give yourself some room. Renovate your basement or attic. You'll increase your living space and your home's resale value, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for your remodeling needs, including additions, renovations, and other home improvements. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? 
Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. trying to figure out whether anybody got the joke but you know because we're about to do the mold report and the song is called barely breathing all right now that i've beaten that into the turf (laughs) okay kathleen thompson is here and uh peggy and i just or was it just me i don't remember uh i just said you know that we've got to do this thing because you talk about it and it's part of our environment and i don't think enough people pay attention uh to the uh when there are mold spores f- flying around in the air. Well, I don't know, for one thing. And, and I think most of us don't have any idea that it's affecting us. I didn't. I mean, the strangest... I never had asthma or anything like that. I've never had allergies. But time went by, and one summer I was exhausted all the time. And I went to the doctor, and I said, I'm falling asleep on the couch at nine o'clock and I'm anxious a.m. <laughs> and I'm anxious all the time and um he said well you know you got a pretty rough job maybe you're just tired so we decided to give it a a break and then I began to notice that I was hanging out at Blockbuster you know I mean I was <laughs> who wants to do that you know really and admit to it and that's what put him out of business basically <laughs> Well, I was, we didn't have air conditioning. Yeah. And I would go to Blockbuster to pick up a movie and I would feel so good there that I would just look at lots and lots of movies. Anyway, I, um, I told my doctor about it and he sent me directly to a pulmonary specialist and we discovered that I have um, what is called hyperreactive or hyperresponsive lungs. Now, the thing is... We talk about people who have asthma or who don't have asthma. In fact, asthma is not a disease. It's a condition of the body. And most of us have some, to some degree or another, um, if you have lived in Chicago all your life, you have some hyperreactivity in your lungs. And it's just a question of how much. So you may think you don't have a problem, but... You probably do if certain aeroallergens, as they're called, um, 
are in the air. And one of the reasons I'm on this show, which is about gardening in the environment, is that um, gardeners really have to watch out for this. In in the Midwest, um, we're surrounded by farms. Grain-growing farms are the biggest source of some of these molds. And so uh, we... That's one of the reasons we have such high mold counts in this area. But the molds, which are, you know, sort of like, they're fungi. They're mushrooms without stems and real tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and where where do they live? They live in earth, on plants, and rotting wood. And what do gardeners deal with? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let me guess here. Uh... <laughs> Earth, <laughs> plants, plants, and, and mulch, and mulch, yeah, yeah. you know, so, and moisture, right, and moisture. So, the people who listen to the show are people who are going to get exposed a lot. And then it's also at this time of year, it's in the air. Now, it starts the mold spore count starts rising in late May, early June. Uh, last month in July. More than 20 days out of the 31 31 were high mold levels. Um, That meant that anyone who has any sensitivity um, shouldn't exert themselves outside. How do you know if you have high sensitivity? Well, for one thing, do you feel a lot better in the air conditioning? Well, it might, be, it might be because you're cooler. It might be. But the symptoms are basically you're a lot, you get a tightness. You can get a tightness in your chest that feels a whole lot like anxiety. It's hard to di- distinguish um, the tightness. And if you're in a stressful job, you'll never know. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's true. It's I true. mean, it's because you, you've said those things. You, sometimes Kathleen will say, I'm really anxious today, and I don't know if it's because I'm on this deadline or if it's because of the mold. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 it's not an easy thing to figure out. The other thing is you're not getting enough oxygen. It's hard to get a, a full breath. So if you ever find yourself feeling like you need to yawn, kind of, you know, like... Um, or as I say, gasping like a carp on a, on a deck <laughs> yeah, or a dock. He, he's, he's such a sympathetic person. <laughs> but even if you don't do that, if it's just you're not quite yeah. getting a full breath and you're not getting enough oxygen. Yeah. Feeling like you need to just take a slightly deeper breath than you can. Right, exactly. And that's why you get tired. Um, it also means you can get a little confused not able to focus well on your work, things like that. Um, But if you think you might have any of these problems, it's not a bad idea to go to a pulmonary specialist and have a test done because then you'll know for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you just want to be more careful, then there are certain things that you can do. The thing is, you you can't predict when the mold count is going to be extra high or extra low you can't say well the weather is such and such so the mold is high you can have perfectly beautiful days 
where I, I get faked ex- out by this because I, it will be a day like today, and I'll go, yes, what a great day, and Kathleen's going like a carp on a dock, <laughs> uh, and um, and I can't, and I don't understand it. I know it's it. That's partly because now you you guys remember listening. Those people listening. I'm a writer and a researcher, and the webmaster for this show. I'm not a doctor, and I'm not trying to give any kind of uh, advice here. I'm saying... Thank you for the disclaimer. (laughs) Okay. But this year, we have had the perfect storm for mold. Because we have had rain, followed by very hot weather, followed by rain, followed by very hot weather. And this will grow the mold. And right after the rain, when you think that the air should be washed clear, and it frequently is of many irritants, um, it's making the mold grow. Um, On really, really hot days, mold spores are getting kicked up with the dust. So it's you really about the only way you can tell is to um, read the mold count, and that is you we can you can find the link on um, Mike's website to the... Um, Did you put it up there? And I just posted yeah. it on Facebook, too. I didn't know it was on the, on the website. Did you just... It's in, the, it's in your in blog. The, your blog about today's show. Oh, right. For the American Academy of Allergy, <laughs> Asthma, <laughs> Cat- and Immunology. Actually, Cat- Kathleen wrote that, so I was like, I just pasted it. <laughs> I don't the link remember. is there, and, and you can um, get an email sent to you every mm-hmm. morning. That will tell you whether the, you need to take precautions. We should let's post that on uh, yeah. Twitter and uh, on Facebook as well. And, and that's that count is uh, taken by a, a doctor um, who's Joseph Leo. Yes, thank you. Oh, uh, he's the in Melrose the, Park. Right. Tom Skilling's that's guy. A, well, jo- Doctor Joseph Leia uh, sent this uh, report today. The mold count is really high. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So um, and he maybe just, I should do the weather report. I'll do it goes, as, my, as Tom Skilling today. He goes out on the roof, uh, I think. <laughs> well, I mean that's how they do the, it's the giant butterfly net. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry. Or vacuum cleaner? Who knows? <laughs> oh, suck up those mold spores. So um, anyway, if you've got, if you think you might have a problem and you want to take some precautions, um, here's the thing: um, when it when the mold spore count is high, it's a good thing to stay inside in air conditioning. Mm-hmm. If you're highly sensitive to it. It, well, that's I'm talking about. If you think you want to take precautions, okay, you can. These are precautions you can take. Yeah, you can stay inside in the air conditioning. Um, if you don't have air conditioning in your home, um, you can go to the library. There are other places you can go. Hang out at Starbucks. Bucks. Anyway, you're going to feel better. Mm. If, if you have a sensitivity, you're going to feel better in air conditioning because that dries. Uh, the air mm-hmm. and um, takes the spores, cleans it a little. What about a good HEPA filter? Uh, HEPA, f- you mean in your in in your air conditioning or a freestanding uh, air room cleaner? Well, I the freestanding room cleaner. I think there's some controversy about how effective they are. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have your windows open and you have an air cleaner going, 
I don't think it can keep up. Yeah. But I'm I'm not an expert, so uh, we do have we have a HEPA filter on our vacuum cleaner, for example, so that uh, when Michael when Michael vacuums, because I no longer vacuum, um, because she would end up collapsed on the floor. <laughs> um, but the HEPA filter, of course, I only vacuum once a year or when necessary. I don't have carpeting, so I've solved the problem. Yeah, well, we don't have much. We have, but we have area rugs. Yeah. Um, then you you should not uh, you should avoid uh, mowing lawns and raking leaves because they stir up mm-hmm. the mold and pollen both. So um, if you can get somebody else to mow your lawn or rake your leaves, <laughs> like uh, the teenage son yeah. uh, or somebody like kid that. next door, yeah, yeah, um, and it, keep your car windows closed if you're if. You've got air conditioning in your car. You use that. Um, use the air conditioning. Well, <laughs> we're, we're we're SOL, so uh, I know we don't have air conditioning in, in, in our, our car. No. But at the it's, moment, that, that's what happens when you have a seventeen-year-old car. <laughs> well, you know, this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we can say stay in the air conditioning, but first off, there are people who don't have air yeah. conditioning. Um, and second, there are people who can't afford to run the air conditioner all the time. Uh, we have central air conditioning in our big old barn of a house, but we went out and got uh, a window unit just for my office so that um, we don't have to run the central air conditioning most of the time. And it, it, because it's just it's too expensive and, and we don't like the environmental impact of that much air conditioning so it's you know it's a it's a tricky question but things some you know you can you can do things to make this better also if you go to a pulmonary specialist or your own doctor uh, orders the test it is possible you will end up taking medication the way i do um and that actually helps quite a bit what kind i'm the inhaler the inhaler, the mm-hmm. um, the steroidal inhaler that I use, which is not a rescue inhaler. I have one of those just in case. Um, but I, I'm not going to, you know, say this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. Your doctor decides yes. what you should do. Right. I'm just saying there are medications yeah. that can help. Um, and I don't know the answer to this. I'm wondering if there's any dietary things you can do. So, for example, with ragweed, a lot of people with ra- who have ragweed allergies are also allergic to nightshade. And even though everything right now is tomatoes and zucchini and and peppers and everything in the nightshade family, there's a lot of schools of thought that say if you avoid or reduce the amount of nightshade you're eating, your body's not in as much inflammation. I'm curious with mold. That's interesting. Well, I think one of the things that is that things are cumulative. (laughs) Don't eat the moldy cheese in your refrigerator. But the less mold you can expose yourself to. The fewer uh, triggers. Right. You know, if you have... If you if your lungs are being hyper responsive, um, the fewer triggers, the better. And the thing is that hyperactivity in the lungs, as I understand it, builds. It can be created in essence by the things you're being exposed to, which is why, for example, Chicago has a much higher rate of childhood asthma than most cities, even though asthma has a strong genetic component. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you can develop uh, hyperreactivity in your lungs. And Chicago is by a lake, so it's humid. 
Uh, it's in the middle of a grain-growing farming area where there's a lot of mold. Um, and it's got a lot, a lot of air pollution from cars and stuff like that. So you put them all together and you get a sort of a, a stew of stuff. Toxic mess, yes. And um, I know that in this time of year when we're dealing with the mold, um, I have even more trouble with perfumes than I do. You know, I used to wear perfume and I loved it. And then I got, you know, a little older and then this thing developed and I had mm-hmm. to give up. Michael used to give me Shalimar, Shalimar soaps and, perf- you know, toilet water and stuff. He was like wonderful gifts. And when we moved um, the last time, I had to give them to the Polish cleaning lady who came and helped clean the apartment. Now I just buy them for the cat. <laughs> and she loves it. Because, you know, there's uh, yeah. perfumes can be a problem. Perfume is, is a trigger. Incense. Uh, one thing before we, uh, we break, uh, the anxiety thing. What causes that? If you... It's not clear, but people who have um, an asthmatic lungs have six times as much anxiety and depression as people who do not. And they do not know wh- which way the cause goes. Hmm. Hmm. Whether you're having a reaction in your lungs to the depression, that you, I mean the anxiety that you're suffering, or whether the breathing problems that you're having contribute to make I'm you anxious. It. So it's a complex thing that people are not quite sure about. But I would strongly recommend if anybody gets very anxious at this time of year, um, you might want to find out whether there's a breathing issue involved. I get anxious at this time of year simply because I assume everybody's having more fun than I am. (laughs) They're at the beach. They're they're going on vacation. I never get a vacation. And I think, oh, I'm so anxious. I don't know why that is. But that's just me. Uh, Kathleen Thompson, thank you so much. Uh, uh, Let's give her another beer ding. Who uh, is just um, the Mike Novak show could not exist uh, without her. Um, And uh, I probably couldn't exist without her (laughs) either. And that's a a great report. And uh, if folks want more information, we've posted some stuff on the Facebook page. And you can go to MikeNovak.net. Uh, go to this week's show and get the links as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, if, if some of this, you recognize what she's saying, you should get it checked out because uh, you might be more uh, sensitive to these kinds of allergies than you thought. And those of us who've gone through our lives, all our lives without any allergies and feel a little, um, well, you know, a little proud of ourselves because, oh, no. I've never had a broken bone. I've never had an allergy. You know? Oh, I went through that. Believe me, after what I went through this year, I... I, I <laughs> you know, yeah. just yeah. get, you know, if you if you are recognizing anything, get over that and yeah. go to a doctor. All right. Second hour of the Mike Novak Show is coming up with Doug Terran from Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. Stick around. We're talking insects. Captain's log started 4 2 3 2 6 the Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. 
We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. My agent asked me to take another pest control commercial, and I said, not a chance. Uh, hello, are we rolling? Hey, my name's Chris. I'm here to introduce a new Silly Bus song, and it's called Icky, Icky Insects. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, on Q4 Radio, and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. Uh, in the studio with me, I'm 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 very very excited to have uh, Doug Terran back. You have been with me now in all my incarnations, okay? <laughs> uh, at uh, at uh, Gargantua Radio down the dial, and at Progresso Radio, and now at Q4 Radio. And I should say, you're listening to Q4 Chicago. 1680 AM, but don't try to get it on the AM because that's not going to happen. Uh, but you can listen to us on the Internet, as a lot of people were doing, like Bob is in Virginia who called earlier uh, and actually sent us a photo. Uh, and the reason he called is because he sent us a photo that he wanted to get ID'd. Uh, and I don't know, and I figure you're the guy, Doug. And by the way, can, can I just say hello Hey, it's great to be here. Uh, and it's great to have you here. It's great to have you uh, back. Let's make sure I got the right mics on here. What is that? Well, it's some sort of a beetle larva. Um, beyond that, uh, I'm really not going to be able to say. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. See, I feel so much better now. All right. Now, how do you know it's a beetle larva? Uh, just the overall shape of it. Uh, uh, it looks sort of like a caterpillar, but um, not not exactly. It doesn't... It, it, uh, thank you. It um, uh, doesn't have the right head structure to be a, uh, a caterpillar. What kind of head structure does a caterpillar? Caterpillar has a more obvious head capsule than that. It'll have a more bulbous. Uh, ah, head. and this one is smaller. Yeah, uh, and Bob found it in his house, right, Peggy? Yes. Okay, and and you can see it's on a napkin. And uh-huh. he said it it took a bite out of the napkin and left uh, some kind of slimy thing on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I That's suspect I know term. what the slimy thing is. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna point this up just a tad here. Okay, All great. Right, thank you. Uh, and uh, so, see, even the entomologist. One of the things which uh, is very interesting because I've been doing this now 19 years in Chicago, and people assume I know everything about birds and 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 critters in your yard and uh, uh, insects, uh, and I can ID any plant and. Uh, and my head explodes when people, you know, I think I bring in people who 
uh, or of various disciplines, and they're very narrowly focused. They know what they know. Uh, and yet the radio guy is supposed to know everything about all of the animal and plant uh, uh, parts of the kingdom out there. And I, and I, and I say, uh, no, no, I, I'm the radio guy. That's why I have experts like Doug Tarrant on my show, so I can ask them questions. Uh, well, well, insects are a particularly difficult group in this regard just because they're so species-rich. Uh, if you yeah. add up all of the other species and all of the other groups of plants and animals on the planet – there will be more species of insects, and beetles are a particularly uh, diverse group of insects. So beetles are great. There's yeah. a lot of beetles out there. Uh, so, and chances are, this is a, a, a fairly benign character. Would you Would you think? Uh, given that it was found in a house, it might be something that might eat uh, stored food. It might be something that eats fabric. There are plenty of beetles that do both. I, that's, so. that, to me, that's benign. That's what, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure the person whose fabric is being eaten is going to feel that way. <laughs> uh, well, that's true. Or, you know, and, and in our house, I don't know, but it happens every year. And it's because our our storage is uh, a little suspect in some cases. We get the the moths, the meal moths, yeah. the meal moths, and uh, although this year, not so many. Maybe we we've been better about that, about uh, you know storing things because uh, in the past they, uh, but this year pretty good. You know they're not there, but a lot of fo- folks have that issue, and then and then you got to track it down. Mm-hmm. You got to you got to <laughs> look in that thing that's in the cabinet someplace in a box usually because if you've got a a glass or a plastic container you can usually keep them out. Although I have gone to jars and unscrewed the lid and found the worms in there and go, well, how did how did you get in here? It was how in did... there when it went in. Well, of course it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they multiply and, and so forth. But in a box, often then they're just sort of they crawl out and fly out and, you know, and boom, they're, they're all over the place. And that's, and that's how food supplies around the world get destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not just your household. But, but th- that's not where I intended to go with this conversation <laughs> at all. Uh, but I, I, so I, tell me about um, – as a, as a kind of introduction to folks who don't know who you are, Doug, tell me a little bit about your work at, uh, at Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. Well, I am the chief curator for the Chicago Academy of Sciences and its Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. And uh, I oversee the care of, uh, among other things, our uh, living butterfly exhibit. And I also uh, head up our um, conservation program where we are – conserving regionally imperiled species of, in particular, butterflies and rearing them in the laboratory and placing them out onto various ecosystem restoration projects in the area. And that's fascinating. I mean, you when we talked before, you explain how that's done. And I remember our last conversation, which was a couple of years ago, um, you trying to propagate butterflies uh, – not quite, and you know, outside of their normal um, life patterns, I guess is is a way to put it, and that can be really tricky because then you, you want to do that and then release them uh, in in the wild, and you're and you've got a couple of uh, a, a moth and a, a moth that you're trying to track down, mm-hmm. a, a bluff spring fen, mm-hmm. and and also a butterfly that you're trying to reintroduce 
Let's start with the butterfly. It disappeared in 2012, right? And what was the butterfly? Uh, the butterfly is called the Baltimore checker spot. It's a, a beautiful little butterfly. It's about a two-inch wingspan, velvety black wings with red and yellow spots on it. Very, very pretty butterfly. 2012 was the last year it was seen at Bluff Spring Fen. And if you recall, that was the year we had the um, really, really early spring followed by the very intense drought. Oh, my goodness. I remember that because I was shooting uh, Dig in Chicago, the TV show. And our very first shoot was April 1st or 2nd or 3rd um, at Millennium Park. And it was in the 70s, mm-hmm. okay? And the tulips were coming up. I and mean, it was insane. I mean, it was so warm because uh, we had had several weeks of this, and uh, everything was shooting up, and it was like being out in June uh, uh, to to do this shoot. Um, and uh, and I was talking to Rick DeMaio during that time, and we were talking about the implications of this. It was so crazy. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. And you're saying this may have played a role in the butterfly's disappearance. I, it may have. Yeah. And, and then uh, it was followed up with a larger-than-normal burn the following spring, and uh, it may be one or the other. It may be a combination of the two. But the upshot is beginning in 2013, we have seen no Baltimore checker spots at Bluff Spring Fen. Uh, and, of course, we've been monitoring out there from the, uh, since the late 1980s. So we've got quantitative data going all the way back that far, and it's always been there every year. But But – According to the chart that you sent me, its populations fluctuated anyway. Its population fluctuated anyway, but uh, never to zero. And you know, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So in 2013, it crashed down to zero and has not been seen on the site since. Mm-hmm. So the goal now is to reintroduce it uh, to the Fen. How are you doing that? Uh, well, we're collaborating with both the DuPage and the Cook County Forest Preserve Districts. Uh, the reason DuPage County comes into play is that the nearest existing population of Baltimore checker spots to Bluff Spring Fen is at Pratt Wayne Woods, which is uh, four or five miles away in DuPage County. So they're allowing us to take female Baltimore checker spots from that site. We bring them into the laboratory. We uh, set them up in cages where they lay eggs. We currently have uh, just over 900 caterpillars in our laboratory. The eggs have hatched. We're starting to rear them up. Would they normally hatch at this time of year, or are they out of sequence? They are uh, very much in sequence right now. Okay. We, uh, uh, at the moment, we are trying as hard as we can to keep them in sequence. Mm-hmm. The tricky part of that is going to be coming up in another couple of months where uh, they spend the winter as caterpillars. They, they only do one generation each year. So if we want to release adults, we need to carry over the winter, which means keeping caterpillars alive and cold through the winter. Of course, because if they were out in nature, they would be cold. Do they – they don't go dormant, do they? They don't hibernate. They do. Or they actually. do. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. They, they actually create a little hibernation web and hibernate communally at the, at the base of uh, uh-huh. plant stems. So you think you can recreate those conditions in the lab? Uh, we have done this before. Uh, the, the tricky part is uh, keeping the humidity high enough. Uh, they're a wetland butterfly. They're very prone to desiccation during the winter. And so there are tricks that we can play to keep the humidity up, keep them cold. And we've had pretty good success in the past uh, keeping these caterpillars alive over the winter. 
And that's the hard part. If we get them through the winter and um, once we wake them up next spring, we get really good survival all the way to adulthood at, at mm-hmm. that point. I, I saw also that you're, you're trying to uh, preserve or create genetic diversity with these butterflies. That's right. And so one aspect of that is that this is not the only year that we're going to do this. We're going to do this for several years in a row. And this gets a larger number of um, genes from a larger number of females into the population without taking a big bite out of the population in any one year. Uh, it's just it's just amazing stuff. Now, you've done this before. Um, to what kind of success? We have had uh, mixed success. Uh, we have succeeded in getting, for example, a beautiful butterfly called the Regal Fridlary, started at the Indian Boundary Yeah, Prairies. which is also a part of the Chicago Wilderness 12 species. It is, yes. Mm-hmm. It's one of the Chicago Wilderness priority species yeah. and, and one of three insects that are uh, priority species, which I think is great that the, uh, the the process here included a number of insects. So we've got the monarch. Including the monarch. The monarch. Yeah. Regal Fritillary, and a bee called the Rusty Patch Bumblebee that are all uh, included as priority species. Okay, but back to the Regal Fritillary. So you were able to successfully do that where? Uh, Indian Boundary Prairies down near Markham. Mm -hmm. And we have, uh, oh, it's a bunch of years now that we've had uh, uh, a population going there. Uh, I'm... It's, it's dwindled some. I am a little bit concerned about genetic diversity on that population. And so as part of the Priority Species Project, making a genetic infusion down there by adding some more individuals would be uh, on the list of things that we want to do. So uh, back into the lab? Back that? into the lab, yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how, how endangered are both of these species, uh, the fritillary and the uh, the Baltimore chop the ball the Baltimore <laughs> the, the checker check there, there we go Baltimore chop's a baseball term yeah uh, the fritillary is in far more trouble than the checker spot uh, the the regal fritillary is being considered for listing as an endangered species at the federal level at the moment it's already listed as a threatened species here in Illinois uh, it it ranges from. Uh, the extreme east of Colorado and Wyoming, and formerly ranged all the way to the Atlantic coast. Oh, my goodness. East of Indiana, there are two populations left, one in Pennsylvania and one in Virginia. So it's it's really collapsed a lot uh, since the 1970s. So it's it's in a lot of trouble and seems to be uh, the, the, the area in which it is doing badly seems to be creeping further and further west. So that's not good news. No, no. And and is it the usual suspects, um, uh, uh, pesticides and uh, loss of habitat and that sort of thing? In particular, loss of habitat. Um, one of the, the caterpillars feed exclusively on violet leaves, and when you do ecological restoration, oh, that's projects, so, you know I I learned that earlier this year, uh, and it's one of the reasons if you got violets in your yard, leave them. You know, it, it, you're going to be helping the uh, the fritillary. Right, and in your yard, there's a different species of fritillary, the great spangled fritillary, that actually will come into your yard, and the caterpillars may use those violets. So, yes, absolutely. Uh, and it's the violet leaves. And it's the violet leaves, and, yes. And unfortunately, unfortunately, this is a plant that many gardeners consider to be a weed. Oh, you're, 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 you don't believe me. I think they do. What do you think, Peggy? Well, since I have them by the thousands... <laughs> 
Okay, okay, but go ahead, Doug. So uh, the checker spot is not globally in as much trouble. Uh, it may be experiencing the effects of climate change. It seems mm-hmm. to be doing bad on the southern edge of its range. So I know uh, in Maryland, there's a big push to try to return it to Maryland, where it has been extirpated. Well, it's called Baltimore. Exactly. For, you know, okay. And and so um, there's there's a, a lot of affinity of it because it was named after Lord Baltimore, and ah. um, so. There's there's work trying to rear it in the laboratory over there and, and get it going again. All right, let me uh, – I'm not trying to bust you here, okay? You're saying it's not as endangered. So why why reintroduce it to this fen? How important is that? Well, I mean it seems almost, you know, okay, like a vanity project. It's like we're, we're, we're going to play God here and we're going to bring this butterfly back. Well, it, it – we have a very strong case that it was there. I mean, we've got a lot of data showing it was there. We have a reasonable knowledge for why it's not there. And, and there are certainly some things that we can do, uh, like modify the burning regime there, uh, which, which seems to be happening, that uh, would prevent its loss again. And it's just – it's part of our heritage there. This is – uh, a butterfly that has been closely associated with that site for many decades. Bluff Spring Fen is one of the real ecological gems of the Chicagoland area. And it, it always seems just really sad when we lose species from these high-quality preserves. And this is one that we can do something about. Okay. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you're doing it. But I, I imagine there are people who go, why are you wasting your time with this butterfly that's not particularly endangered? And it, it's in other areas in the state. And, and who knows, maybe on its own, it would end up coming back to the fen. Is that a possibility? It is a remote possibility, but it's very remote, mainly because the only populations that are known of the species at the moment are beyond the dispersal range. And so it, it, there's nothing close enough to uh, to come to us. It can't fly that far. It well, it doesn't seem to fly to that fly that far um, <laughs> because it's, you, it's, you, obviously you haven't tagged them or anything like that, right? It's well, other people have done mark and recapture studies with with the species. Uh, it's really variable by species how far butterflies can fly. I think the the um, monarch, because it's so legendary about just how far it flies, is actually a very bad model in terms of thinking of how far most butterflies can disperse. Mm-hmm. That gets us to the question of the monarch and, and others. Um, you know, starting with the the, the Baltimore checker spot and uh, and fritillary, regal fritillary uh, monarch. And one of the questions that came up on my Facebook page when I posted that you were going to be on the show is uh, from a friend of mine who actually lives in California. And she said, well, I understand the monarch and you know, people want the monarch uh, to live. But why? What what's the point? Of, I mean, that's that's even that's harsh <laughs> to say it that way. But what is it that makes the monarch so special? And I started thinking about it. And I realized it's an iconic butterfly. Okay, so this is a butterfly that's maybe maybe the best known butterfly in the world. Um, it but it feeds on a plant that is poisonous to a lot of critters i mean it it's one of the few uh, uh animals that can can feed on milkweed um it itself is poisonous to a lot of critters 
so it's not a huge food supply. Um, from what I understand, it's not a great pollinator. So why are we trying to protect this butterfly? I mean, what does it bring to the table? Well, that's a, it's a question that, that comes up a lot, not just in, in terms of the monarch, but with a lot of these conservation projects, particularly those involving insects, where uh, there seems to be less of an innate appreciation for insects than there is for something like a bald eagle or a panda. Which are considered megafauna, mm-hmm. but personally, I consider the monarch butterfly a megafauna. Well, in the insect world, the monarch is a megafauna. I mean, by insect standards, it's enormous. Um, so the, the fact of the matter is, if the monarch were to disappear from the planet tomorrow, aside from a lot of people being very sad about that, <laughs> um, not much would probably change if that were the only change that happened. Really? Yeah. Okay, um, so it's not, it's not uh, one of the, you know, they talk about the... I love this analogy, and you've heard it before uh, about you flying across uh, the country in an airplane and you remove one rivet at a time, and what's the point at which the airplane falls out of the sky? Mm-hmm. If we took the, the monarch rivet out of the airplane, it's probably not going to fall out of the sky. Or, we, or uh, do we not know the answer to that? We never fully know the answer to that, but to the extent that we understand the role that the monarch is playing from an ecological standpoint at the moment – the airplane is probably not going to fall out of the sky. Uh, it's certainly not something that would be considered a cornerstone species that uh, the ecology of a lot of other species is dependent on the role that it plays in its ecosystem. Uh, I think it gets a lot of the attention that it does because it is beautiful and it is fascinating. You know, it's got such a complicated uh, life cycle, the migration is... Well, that makes the, it iconic mm-hmm. alone. Absolutely. In that, in that, and we haven't even gotten to dragonflies yet. Uh, but the fact that it migrates, it's, from what I understand, the only butterfly that does that. Is that correct? It's the only butterfly that migrates on a regular recurring basis okay. that way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there we are. So we're trying to save this butterfly almost for us. For our culture and our history of it and what it brings to human beings. I mean, and that's... Yeah, the cultural connection around right. it. Right. And, and if you read Michael Pollan, that's that's a reason why animals continue to survive because, uh, and not, at only, not just animals, but plants, is because they make themselves useful to human beings mm-hmm. or iconic, as in the case of a monarch butterfly. Um, maybe that's it. Maybe that's why we save the butterfly is for us. Well, that, that may well be. Um, you know, I, I'm of a mind that I never want to see any species go extinct. You know, I, I'm, I'm one of these people who will get really sad if I hear about an obscure little springtail that lives in a mountain meadow in Wyoming going extinct, something like that. But um, clearly the monarch gets the attention it does because it is a big, beautiful animal with a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Uh- and and th- that alone is is the reason that, well, as you said, there's a history to uh, the monarchs, but it's a recent history. I mean, the history of the monarch is that we've seen this for for hundreds of years. We knew it was out there. I think did we have an idea that it migrated uh, hundreds of years ago? Because we just found out forty years ago where it migrates. 
I don't think it was necessarily known to migrate hundreds of years ago, but the migration was known a lot longer than the the migration, the roosting sites have been known. Yeah. Uh, Places like Cape May, New Jersey have been known for well over a century as uh, funnel points where lots of monarchs congregate during the fall migration. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the funnel point here in the Midwest? Uh, there are a couple. One is up in Peninsula Point in Michigan. Uh, it's on the northern shore of Lake Michigan. Another is Point Pelee on, on, in Ontario, which is on the northern shore of Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. Uh, which gets us to uh, the uh, – oh, by the way, uh, that's uh, uh, Doug Terran. I, I, I'm, I'm so fascinated by the conversation, I, I keep forgetting to reintroduce him. He's uh, the uh, – the curator of biology at the Chicago Academy of Sciences, Peggy Notabart Nature Museum in Chicago. Um, which brings us to your paper. That that was really interesting. I'm so glad you sent me that information because um, it's a little geeky uh, if you're not a scientist. But you are a scientist, and I'm interested in what scientists do. And you, you did this research paper with some colleagues, and the idea was that if we're going to monitor the monarch populations, we need to take into account what their populations are like in the summer because we measure them basically only in the winter, beginning of winter and end of winter. Is that, is that basically the point? That That's part of the point, yeah. It, it's most of the publications up until recently have involved surveys of the wintering population. It's easier to survey the winter population. Right, because it's all in one place. It's all in one place, that's right. right. And you said... Uh, and your colleagues that, uh, well, you know, you've got to monitor up north because they seem to rebound even when the numbers are low in Mexico. Uh, How significant is that? Well, it's significant in part because it's a a nice evolutionary safety measure that the species has. Um, You you will occasionally hear in the media stories of these large uh, snow and ice storms up in the mountains of Mexico that cause a lot of mortality. And in fact, there was one this past March. Right. And and, and coming out of uh, uh, the the winter, I read uh, some accounts that said the mortality rate might have been as high as 50 percent. They were saying between 30 and 50 percent. That's significant. It's very significant. And it's not really that unusual in terms of the type of mortality rate that these storms can produce. And so... Simply from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense that there would be some mechanism from recovering from these environmental insults. They seem to have been a regular part of the ecology in these mountains is is periodic snowstorms. And so from that standpoint, the potential for a large population rebound in the summertime is not that surprising. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the other interesting things about this work is that it used data that was collected right here in the Chicago area for a big part of it from the Illinois Butterfly Monitoring Network. And it's really gratifying to see the citizen science data that we've been collecting let's, for so Let's many years. give a, a beer ding <laughs> to citizen science. I mean, that, that was interesting because there was a rebuttal uh, to your paper, and mm-hmm. I want to get to that in a second. But they were very careful in the rebuttal to say, no, we're not knocking citizen science. We're just saying we disagree with your uh, theory. Uh, that, that's correct. And, and that was, for me, a very interesting part of this because 10 years ago, the fact that it was citizen science data certainly would have been included in the sort of a rebuttal. Oh, and, really? In, in a pejorative way? Well, 
it's only relatively recently that people have come to realize that these citizen programs are collecting very good data and very usable data. And I guess it's not surprising. It's a, it's a new approach to data collection, and it had to prove itself. Mm-hmm. But we really seem to have gotten um, uh, past the idea that, well, this was collected by nonprofessionals, and, and therefore it's suspect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the sort of uh, uh, condescendence of, uh, of uh, academia saying but as you have pointed out citizens can play ordinary people in their backyards and wherever they're going out into forest preserves and 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 prairies can can make a difference the so let's 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 walk through uh this uh series of papers mm-hmm. you you came out with a paper that said okay you got you really have to pay attention to uh the populations in the summer because they seem to rebound uh, what was the rebuttal about? Well, first of all, uh, one other thing about the uh, the paper that came out last summer that I was a co-author on is that uh, it, it showed two things about population trends. One is that um, the, the statistician uh, did another analysis in the mountains of Mexico and sh- showed that the decline there actually has been accelerating since 2008. So uh, there was a bit of bad news in the paper there. Well, isn't that due to a lot of poaching and, and, and destruction of the habitat there? It's probably due to a variety of factors, and that's part of what we're trying to figure out with all of this. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing that we found is that up here in Illinois and in uh, – there was another data set that it was included that uh, covers much of the northeastern U.S., we were not seeing a statistically significant decline in the monarch population over that same time frame. And so that, and that's, that's during the summer, obviously. That, that yeah. is during the summer population. And so uh, there is a disconnect between what was being seen in the summer population and what was being seen in uh, the winter population in Mexico. Okay. So then we had the uh, rebuttal paper, and the rebuttal basically said – Several things. First of all, that um, uh, was questioning the value of adult surveys uh, as as part of long-term trend analysis and suggesting that surveys for larvae and eggs were more valuable. I'm, I remain unconvinced by that particular argument. A life cycle is a life cycle, mm-hmm. and any stage of the life cycle is going to inform you about uh, what's going on with population trends. Especially because, as you said earlier – this may be uh, a mechanism to keep the species alive that w- when the numbers get small – and it never occurred to me because I've been one of the, 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 the doomsayers um, going, oh, my God, look at the population in Mexico. There, it's, 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 oh, it's terrible. It's going down and, and it's rebounding a little bit, but the monarch's in trouble. And then you, you do these studies and go, yeah, but the summer populations look good. Yes. Now, I'm, I am not of a mind to say that the, uh, there's nothing to worry about. I, I, yeah. I, I want to be clear about that. Well, so, because there has been – and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Doug. Uh, there's, I, I saw something recently, and I reported on the show, and I can't remember where I saw it, but uh, a, a report that within 20 years, um, it's, the monarch is probably going to become uh, – what do they say? Uh, not functionally, but something like it, functionally extinct. Uh, meaning that it will never rebound to the populations that it was at before. And I forget who came out with that study. You probably have heard this. 
Yeah, I think it's important to realize that um, nobody is claiming that the entire species is in danger of going extinct here. There are non-migratory populations further south. The the monarch actually exists uh, well into South America, Mm -hmm. and it's the eastern North American migratory population that people are worried about here. Yes, and and, and you're right about that, and that was their point. It was they were talking specifically about the eastern migratory population. Right. So now we've got uh, a bunch of conflicting reports coming up, and people are doing different types of analysis here of the summer populations. Uh, so the, the other important thing that the rebuttal said was that one of the major hypotheses at the moment regarding why the numbers in Mexico are declining uh, is the milkweed limitation hypothesis, where changes in agricultural practices are resulting in much lower quantities of milkweed in agricultural fields, that these contributed substantially to the monarch population in the east, and that um, the citizen science data is a problem not because it was collected by citizen scientists, but it was be- because it was collected in non-agricultural areas. Bingo. Yeah, and that's that's actually um, a uh, a caveat that needs considerably more attention. And um, one of the things that everybody seems to be agreeing on is that uh, we need to do some more sophisticated statistical modeling to unravel all of this and, and figure out what's going on. And and uh, that's well above my statistical pay grade to do that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, but there are a bunch of people beginning to take on uh, such a challenge, and it's going to be very interesting to see what those analyses come up with. Uh, again, that is uh, Doug Terran, uh, who is uh, the – Chief Curator of Biology. I, I want to make sure. I'm looking at my cheat sheet here to make sure I get it right because uh, uh, you're a fancy guy uh, at the Chicago Academy of Sciences, Peggy Nobart Nature Museum. Um, th- that point is actually well taken because uh, the I, part of our problem is that, as you said, uh, we have reduced the milkweed population by using these uh, uh, GMOs, which are Roundup ready, and so we can use glyphosate. Uh, and we've uh, one of the things that used to pop up in cornfields was um, uh, milkweed, and it doesn't anymore, and it's not going to be in the row hedges. And it's um, uh, now the only thing that pops up is the soybeans from the previous year, or if you got a soybean, the corn from the previous year, because they they. They're adapted to this. Uh, And that's actually kind of a good argument. It's like if you're taking your measurements in the prairie that has been built or recreated or one that already existed where monarch butterflies are attracted anyway, how do you know what's happening in the cornfield? Uh, it's it's uh, certainly an important question and, and um, one that uh, is is still an open question and we're trying to uh, uh, pin it down. Okay, and then there was a rebuttal to that. Rebuttal to the rebuttal. <laughs> there this, was, this, this, is, we're, 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 this is one of those little Russian boxes where we just yeah. keep opening it. Yeah. Um, the rebuttal to the rebuttal basically said that um, – uh, the statistical analysis was sound, and that uh, we need these more sophisticated modeling. Uh, to, okay. Uh, so agreeing uh, with what you just said, uh, yeah. Agreeing with, with what we just said. Then there was uh, another paper that came out this spring that used uh, a different data set and a different type of analysis and also showed a lack of decline in the summer months up here. In really? The yes, that was the Even, paper. Wow. Okay, I, Anecdotally, and I know this doesn't. This is not science, 
All right. It's anecdotal and you can't really count it for anything. I haven't seen a single monarch in the city of Chicago this year. All right. Um, I saw one out in Wilmette because I went out to the Centennial Park. And I've seen two in Highland Park. Okay. The numbers seem low. This has been a terrible year for butterflies in general so far. Now, really, things, why is yeah, that? I haven't, yeah, all so butterflies. I've seen so few anywhere. What makes it a terrible year for butterflies? Different things can make a good or terrible year. What a lot of people are citing this year is, and it's not just in the Chicago area, it's across much of the upper Midwest, we had a very cold, wet May that seems mm. to have set a lot of things back. Mm. Um, and, and so the butterfly monitors are, many of them, uh, lamenting the fact that they're not seeing much this year. So I'm not alone. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not crazy. All right, good. <laughs> you're not alone. We're going we're gonna to get good quantitative data on it by the end of the year. But also things seem to be picking up. Just in the last few weeks, we seem to be getting um, more of many things, including monarchs. I'm seeing some more monarchs around than, than I have been. So if you're right, this is the point at which the monarchs kick in and they go into overdrive and they reproduce and suddenly the population explodes and, you know, they, they, they head back to Mexico. Now, on the way back, it might be that there are terrible conditions. Uh, thank goodness we don't have the drought in Texas right now. Um, but there may be other things mm-hmm. that happen uh, and the population may dwindle. But uh, on the other hand, it may go back and it might be greater than we imagined. Uh- it's it's very difficult to predict. This is science is supposed to be predictive, but details can be very difficult yeah. to predict. The paper that came out in uh, April or May suggested that um, uh, declines uh, may be occurring during the southward migration, and that that merits uh, a more serious. So we need to see what's, what's causing on. that, yeah. and that might be related to loss of milkweed uh, or other. Or Probably loss of habitat. Loss of nectar sources. The, the ah, monarchs, that's not, right. Yeah, they're not breeding very much on their southward trip. That's um, the the monarchs that leave here at the end of the month are going to be the same monarchs that spend the entire winter in Mexico and then begin coming back to Texas next spring. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a very long lived generation. Uh, the other thing to remember is that these are not all mutually exclusive. All of these can be making a contribution to what's going on. And, and as you point out, it's it's the nectar sources they need for the energy to make the trip because by the time they head back. Um, uh, milkweed is not blooming anymore. So um, I read someplace that the uh, uh, members of the aster family provide a lot of nourishment for butterflies on their way back. Yeah, unlike the caterpillars, adult monarchs can take nectar from a whole bunch of different sources. Even even the non-native butterfly weed, right? Or butterfly bush, rather. Not so much. Yeah, well, they can. I'm, I've not been a fan of butterfly bush. I'm not. Yes, I'm not a fan either. <laughs> it will work as a nectar source. Yeah. Um, I, I, but that's my point, I guess, is like what – can they get nourishment from non-native nectar sources? They can. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, um, non-native milkweed, the uh, tropical milkweed uh, is a good nectar source for them. They can, the caterpillars – And that's a very controversial mm-hmm. plant. It is a very controversial plant. I, I suspect it is causing more problems further south of here than it is up here. Uh, most of the things that people cite as possible harms that are, are causing 
uh, happened during the southward migration and probably not so much of an issue here. In a nutshell, there's a, there's a tropical uh, milkweed uh, that uh, – what's the species? Uh, Sleepius curasavica. Curasavica. And uh, it has become popular because it grows easily and you can get it uh, – you know, it's, it becomes like an annual that you can plant in your yard and boom, it's flowering and monarchs like it and – from what I understand, and I could be wrong about this, it doesn't really cause much of a problem here because it's going to die back uh, at this latitude, okay? Uh, but in the south, it lasts longer, and the theory is that it's – well, there's two things, problems. One is that it's causing the monarchs not to have the urgency to get back to Mexico because they can feed on it. And another thing, it's, it's also causing disease issues. Is that right? Yeah, there's a, a parasite uh, called OE that um, seems to be uh, transmitted between monarchs more readily if they are growing up on the uh, Kurosavica. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of the data on that, so I don't know how good it is, but uh, I, I know that's out there as a hypothesis. So the advice is always plant milkweed that is native to your local area, and given that there are more than a hundred milkweeds in North America alone, uh, you can what you can find them by going to Monarch Watch. That's one of the mm-hmm. the places, and they have the milkweed store, and you can you can order seed, and you can get it planted for your specific area, and that makes the most sense, right? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the Doug Terran is here. Not the Doug Terran. Doug Terran. <laughs> ah, he is the Doug Terran. The. Uh, Chief Curator of Biology of the Chicago Academy of Sciences. And um, we're going to get back to you when we come back. Talk dragonflies. Dragonflies. Because uh, people think they're cool and sometimes they're afraid of them. I, I don't know why people are afraid of them. Uh, are you tired of the same old, same old big box store genetically modified clone till you drop bee assassin garden center plants? <laughs> I think it's great because it, it says it all. And Doug is laughing because he knows he can't really say anything because it's true. And that's the problem. Uh, you say you want something really different, yet you're buying the same boxwoods that everybody else has. Well, garden with plants that have thousands of years of natural design behind them and that have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other fauna. Garden with native plants. Natives are the natural choice, and you can get them locally from Natural Communities Native Plants online at naturalcommunities.net. If you truly want to go green, the truly green choice is native plants. Natural Communities Native Plants are locally grown and sourced, and they have more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. They use online shopping and mail delivery, or you can talk to them in person at local green events. Plant with Chicagoland's native plant source, Natural Communities Native Plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives and Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. 
It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. This is Heather Fry. Every time I open up an issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I know I'm going to learn something. And that's in spite of Mike Novak's column on the inside back page. If you've ever read it, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, in Chicagoland Gardening, you might pick up some knowledge in one of the excellent feature articles or in one of the regular departments like Ask the Garden Pros or the Regional Reports or What to Do in the Garden. Or you might be inspired by one of the luscious photos. And Chicagoland Gardening Magazine is just one of 21 different publications of state-by-state gardening. Wherever you live in the Midwest or the South, state-by-state gardening has a magazine for you. They feature articles by some of the leading gardening experts in each state including famous authors, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, even Mike. Subscribe today by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. That's 888-265-3600. Want to make a positive move in the housing market? Replace your siding and windows. You'll improve your home's look and energy efficiency, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for your remodeling and energy needs. Siding, windows, solar and wind power, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. And I played this. All, all the music today is relevant. Do you know your enemy? And the idea is that insects are not our enemy. And Doug is nodding because uh, most of the time, and, you know, and I say this to people at Garden Talks, that what, and they, and they tell us this, uh, and I don't know if the, um, the numbers are accurate, but around 95% of insects are either benign or beneficial, and about 5% are the bad actors and they're the ones that get all the publicity um you know like uh, japanese beetle and emerald ash borer and you know the brown recluse spider and you, you you hear those horror stories and that somehow makes people afraid of everything all the insects out there and at the top of the second hour i played the goofy song about icky icky insects and that's that's not good. We should not be teaching our kids that insects are icky. We should be teaching them that they're 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 important to this planet. Oh, I I completely agree. That's that's one of the things we really try to stress at the Nature Museum is uh, learning not to be afraid of insects and to to uh, you know keep them in the context of what they do and the the wider uh, diversity of uh, who they are and what they do and it's uh, the they're fascinating creatures. Uh, and, and one of the things is, uh, the question is, if people are afraid, why is that? Is it innate? I, I posted an article that, uh, that uh, was in The Straight Dope, Cecil Adams. 
about why people fear insects. I think it's taught. I think it's like you have to be taught to hate the old song mm-hmm. from South Pacific. Uh, I think you have to be taught to think insects are icky because a lot of kids grow up just handling them and think they're cool. Yeah. And then suddenly they get in high school or college and now they're icky. And it's like, where, where's the dividing line is here? Yeah, you know, or, did, or, or someone says, oh, that's dirty. Put it down. Oh, that's icky. Oh, oh. And that's how they're. Yeah, I, I've seen it in much younger kids than that. Uh, we, we have real little kids that occasionally freak out when they come to the butterfly exhibit. Um, it, it becomes very much a teachable moment at that point. But, um, uh, you know, clearly a lot of people really hate bugs. <laughs> well, but, yeah, but, but the thing is they don't hate butterflies. All right. Everybody loves butterflies. But it's an insect. But it's it's the but one it's that pretty. everybody – and people actually generally like caterpillars too, I think, although it's a crawly thing. So it's uh, – yes, Kathleen? And ladybugs. Ladybugs. Who ladybugs. Doesn't, except Every- for the ones that bite. The the Asian, the Asian ones, and, yeah. but yeah. but there's a certain cuteness about the ladybugs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think fireflies are another group yeah. that, oh, that yeah. people really like. But in our community garden, we watched these kids being teaching each other to be afraid. Um, there was one little girl who wasn't afraid of anything, and the others would say, "Ooh, why are you touching that?" Yeah, and that's you know little kids. Yeah, and and that gets us to dragonflies. Which I cool. Uh, yeah, uh, how could you be afraid of a dragonfly? And yet dragonflies are a group that people are afraid of. I think one of the big myths of dragonflies is people think they sting. Uh there's sometimes I called, have never never um that has never even occurred to me. They're sometimes called darning needles or sewing needles. Yeah, that's true. And, well, um, they must have a stinger because that long thing at the back. Yeah. Really long abdomen just yeah. looks like it's got something nasty at the end of it, yeah. and it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and that's – did I hear a dog bark? No, that, that was weird. Came okay. out of the speaker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is there something playing on YouTube, that on, on uh, iTunes that we're not aware of? Uh, there, there might be. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh no! That, actually, it might be uh, Bill Turk who, who who I think has called in with a weather report. But Bill, Bill, hang on for a second. We we still got Doug here. Uh, back to dragonflies, though. Um, oh, the thing I was going to bring out is the body parts: head, thorax, abdomen. I get I get the abdomen and head. What what's a thorax? The thorax is the part in the middle that the wings and legs are attached to. Oh, well, I guess it's pretty important then. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's true not just for dragonflies, for all insects. That's where the, the wings and the legs attaches at the thorax. Uh-huh. Well, we don't have thoraxes here, uh, but our arms and our, uh, different, different kinds. Of, see, uh, well, never mind. Uh, uh, to, to a slight <laughs> distraction with the poet Basho, the Japanese poet Basho, yeah. um, a student, a brilliant student of his, uh, wrote a haiku in which he said, Take but the wings from a bright red dragonfly, and there a pepper pod will be. And Basho said, that's not poetry. Poetry is add but wings to a bright red pepper pod, and there a dragonfly will be. Okay, definitely. See, <laughs> that's the way to look at it. And and, and it's true. Uh, the idea of insects as creepy... Um, I, and again, I, just, I go to a, these garden clubs and I tell people, 
you don't even know what they're doing there. You don't know their job. You can't identify them. You're not an entomologist. Most, I mean, we can identify maybe uh, a dozen bugs on site. Uh, and when I say bugs, I mean insects and everything else that's in your garden. The rest of it, you can't even identify. I, I, I challenge you to, to tell me what that is. So if you can't tell me what it is, why are you trying to kill it? Because you have no idea what it's doing. Um, uh, and, and so back to dragonflies. This is the time of year in Chicago when we see a lot of dragonflies. Why is that? Well, um, this summer has actually been a good summer for dragonflies. They're uh, the exception <laughs> not, to what I was saying a few minutes okay, ago. But dragonflies yeah. are cool. Um, but as we With get into water. late summer, that's when they begin uh, massing to migrate. And you can see very, very, uh, of certain species, conspicuous, enormous uh, migratory swarms. And uh, it's, it's cool, it's dramatic, and it can really get noticed. And, and I published one, um, I took a photograph a dozen years ago or so, which I put uh, on, uh, this is it. Your green darner? Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful green darner photo. Yeah, thank you. Uh, at, when I took it, I thought, this is the most exotic dragonfly ever. Now I realize it's a very common dragonfly, isn't it? But gorgeous. It and really it is. It is very common. Especially yeah. in the clematis there. And it was there it was in the yard, and I came out, and I had never seen anything like it. And I just went, holy cow, what is that? Um, and I was able to uh, call it back up uh, after all these years because uh, yeah, I really like that photograph. But that's one of the common ones here, the green darter. Um, is that are those among the ones that are going to mass here in Chicago? Yes, in fact, those are the primary one that people tend to see when they, when there is a mass migration. Okay, and they will. Um, uh, it, it's cool because we don't know exactly where they're going. They're they're heading south. Some people uh, have seen them migrating along the Gulf Coast. Some people have seen migrations well into Mexico. We don't know if it's the same dragonflies in all of these cases. And, uh, I'm so glad you brought that up before before we have to stop here. Dragonflies, some, not all, migrate, but we don't know where they end up migrating to, do we? We don't. It's it's something that there's uh, a lot of work trying to find that out at the moment, and that is also involving citizen science. Aha. And there's a program called the International Migratory Dragonfly Partnership. You can find it online. And uh, it's uh, a great way to get involved and to contribute to our knowledge about this by submitting observations of dragonfly migration. There's too cool. But before we go, uh, Peggy, you had one more insect that we needed to discuss. Fireflies. Oh, fireflies are wonderful. Oh, yes. And, and they seem to be everywhere this year. They had a, they had a good year this year. <laughs> um, and they're still here. They haven't gone away. Um, I've seen I, haven't, a... I haven't seen as many. Uh, well, not, there aren't as many now, but she's right. I saw one just the other night. Uh-huh. I was yeah. I was kind of surprised because they're usually earlier in the summer, and there they well, were. They're definitely winding down for the mm-hmm. year this mm-hmm. year. But uh, yeah, there were, uh, uh, and it's cool because you can see them right here in the city. Are fireflies endangered? Um, there are uh, there are a whole bunch of species of fireflies, and there are a few species that are in trouble. Fortunately, a lot of the species up here seem to be really doing well and uh, adapted to human disturbance. Uh, as I said, you can see them right here in the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's now yeah. there we go. There's an insect I get to see in my own backyard because uh, I have lots of. They seem to like my backyard. Of course, they like. They're in the city everywhere, but, uh, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen a monarch. Um, I never see hummingbirds, which is very frustrating to me, 
um, even though I have plants that they would like. Yeah, that's the way it goes. But fireflies, yep. So good. I'm glad the fireflies are doing okay. Well, anything else that you want to get out, Doug, uh, before we let you go? Uh, I think everybody should come see us at the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum and walk through our exhibit of live butterflies, Butterfly Haven. Uh, it's wonderful, and if you haven't seen it, please come visit us. Uh, it, and you remind me, and I'm going to search, and I know Peggy is right now too, I think uh, there's a, something coming up. We have our Bugapalooza That's coming it. Bugapalooza. up. Bugapalooza. Okay. Bugapalooza. I think, it, <laughs> I, I think it's this Friday. Uh, that's why I wanted to, to mention that. That's why I'm, I'm going to... Here, this, you keep talking. I'll find it. Here it is. Friday, okay. August 12th, 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Uh, <laughs> it says, backbones are overrated. <laughs> Meet all of our invertebrate friends at this annual celebration of bugs. Stop by the Bug Zoo to interact with live critters both native and exotic species. Nerd out with our entomologist. Is that you? Or some, uh, there's another there entomolo- are a couple of entomologists okay. who will be there. And learn how to put or to pin an insect specimen with, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> with our museum collection staff, test your metal by eating some delicious bug cooking. We had a guy on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, who's, big Cricket Farm. Big Cricket Farm. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's all the rage now. Uh, go on a guided bug walk around the museum and get your face painted with your favorite bug. And that's this Friday, August 12th, obviously kid-friendly. Um, although I'd like to see some adults with a bug on their face painted. Uh, 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. at uh, Peggy Notabart Nature Museum. Uh, and uh, the address... 2430 it, North Cannon Drive. Very good. In <laughs> Chicago. I'm glad you had that. I was I had it here. Up. Uh, hang on a second. I think uh, Bill Turk. Bill, are you there? Hold on. I am. Have you got a short report for us here this morning? Uh, we're we're demioless, as you know. Yes, I yes I do, and and I'm trying to hold the uh, hold the torch as long as I can for uh, for Mr. Demio out of out of complete respect. Um, let me get to the Chicago forecast, and then I've got a quick forecast for uh, Bob in Virginia uh, as well, who called in earlier. Um, and I even got one for Annie Haven as well in California. Oh, so, my goodness. Uh, we'll, Look at you. We'll see, we'll see what we can do. Today, uh, 79 degrees here in Chicago with uh, I like relatively it. low humidity. It's a very, very nice day out there. We yeah. were at Glenwood Market in Rogers Park. Uh, we stepped away because it's a little loud. You heard the dog earlier. Um, but uh, looking forward uh, through the week here, doesn't look like we're going to get uh, much relief from uh, kind of shaping up to be a, to be a little bit of a drought here. Um, I know my garden and, and lawn could really use the rain. I suspect everybody else is in, in kind of the same uh, same situation. Uh, midweek, this, uh, later on this week, we could see 90 again, uh, and our best chance for rain Thursday into Friday, uh, and we return to the same pattern that we've been in, uh, next weekend is shaping up to be a beautiful, beautiful weekend, uh, with temperatures in the mid to upper seventies, uh, and really comfortable humidity, at least, uh, that's what the way it's looking right now for bob in virginia it's going to be hot it's actually going to be hot looking forward here for about the next week week and a half uh but uh relatively low humidity uh for for bob today um but around 89 degrees and then a front is moving through monday into tuesday uh and then the heat returns um big time um along with the humidity into the upper 80s touching 90 
through the ma- remainder of the week for for folks in uh, Virginia and along the East Coast. Um, and that doesn't look like it's going to break until sometime next Sunday uh, when the uh, the next chance for rain comes through. Uh, I think for Bob, he's probably not looking at a lot of rain uh, over the next 24, 36 hours, maybe less than, than a quarter inch. Um, and it doesn't look like we're going to get a great deal of rain either. For Annie Haven out in California, uh, who, who I, I seem to be in competition for this, uh, for this job for, I'm predicting for California giant ticks. Um, but not to worry, the, uh, the giant tarantulas will take care of the giant ticks. So um, <laughs> I'm only, only kidding. Ursatz uh, meteorologist Bill Turk, thank you uh, as always. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Thanks, you you too. too. On that note. On that note, Doug Darren, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming by. And uh, you're always welcome. And and we'll geek out uh, on more entomology. Uh, I I hope some of our audience stuck with us, but (laughs) I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, All right. Let's uh, get him in on the uh, end of the show. So an entomologist and a firefly walk into a bar. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, go green or go go home. home. Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.